Welcome to Let's Clear the Air, a podcast sponsored by the Allergy, Asthma, and Sinus Center, dedicated to educating listeners about allergies, asthma, and immunology. Welcome back to Let's Clear the Air, all things allergy and immunology. And today I am with Dr. John Overholt, and we are in our Franklin office. And we're going to talk about what is an emerging allergy for many people. Tell me about this alpha-gal. So, yes, alpha-gal, it's got a big, long name that's like galactose, alpha-1,3 galactose, but no one wants to pronounce that, so <laughs> everyone just calls it alpha-gal. Sounds good. And yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting story. It's interesting if you're an allergist in that it's a different type of food allergy. Most food allergies are protein allergies and they cause immediate reactions. So if a kid has a peanut allergy and they eat peanuts, I mean, bam, they're gonna have an immediate type reaction, the classic food allergy stuff, swelling, hives, wheezing, low blood pressure, the whole nine yards. Alpha-gal is different. Alpha-gal is a long chain carbohydrate. It's a sugar and it's found in mammalian meats, which in English means sort of beef and pork and lamb and venison and four-legged animals. It's not found in primates, so not humans and apes. It's not found in fish and fowl. So um, people become sensitized to alpha-gal via the bite of the Lone Star Tick. The saliva of the Lone Star Tick actually contains alpha-gal in it. So the prevailing theory is that you get bitten by a tick, your body sets up an allergy to that alpha-gal, and then when you eat mammalian meats after that, you have reactions. But alpha-gal is unique in that it causes delayed reactions. So instead of immediately having allergy symptoms, people will have reactions four, six, eight hours later. So the classic history is, I went out, I had a cheeseburger for dinner, I did fine. At 3 a.m. I woke up, my stomach felt funny, then I just busted out in hives, had a lot of GI problems, felt awful, um, and so have these delayed uh, type reactions. Um, one of the things I've seen that is a bit worrisome, however, is that people are starting to be empirically tested for alpha-gal. And by that I mean they'll go into the doctor, they'll have a tick bite, they'll get a little rash on the bite, and normally, you know, sometimes they would be screened for tick-borne illnesses, so right. things like um, ehrlichiosis, things like Lyme disease, these other problems. Now people are screening for alpha-gal, and they, and they shouldn't be if people have not had problems consistent with the alpha-gal syndrome. And the reason for that is that there's a very, very high seroprevalence, and I'll explain what that means, in the general population with alpha-gal antibodies. So they've done surveillance studies just in North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and they found that somewhere between 15 and 25% of the population carries antibodies directed at alpha-gal. So that's a lot. That's a quarter of the population. And, And clearly, a quarter of the population is not having this problem. Right. Um, in one study where they, they looked at forest service workers and hunters, of the people who had tested positive for alpha-gal, which is about 30% of those people, only 10% of that population um, had actual reactions. That means 90% of the people who tested positive to it were not going to have a reaction to this thing. So doing just sort of a shotgun approach or empiric testing or testing people for alpha-gal when they have not had the syndrome is unwise because it's going to create unnecessary food restrictions, unnecessary anxiety, Mm -hmm. and problems for those sorts of people. So my message out there is if you get bit by a tick, you don't have to test for alpha-gal straight away. You only have to do that if you have the problems because if you tested, if you didn't have symptoms, 
and you tested positive, the likelihood that you're going to have that alpha-gal syndrome is super, super low. So if I eat a steak tonight, and like you said, overnight, I start to feel funny, you talked about um, maybe gastric issues. Would there also potentially be, you know, like constricting of the throat? Would you experience that? With oh, it? absolutely. Okay. It, it behaves just like any other food allergy would, other than okay. the delayed reaction. Once the reaction's there, mm-hmm. it's the exact same reaction as you would see in other food allergies, which can range from, you know, strictly cutaneous symptoms like hives and swelling to low blood pressure, wheezing, passing out, I mean, the whole nine yards. So it, it can be a significant food allergy. How long after someone is bit would they start presenting the next time they eat mammalian meat? It's unclear at this point because the low rates of conversion. So I said I was going to say what seroprevalence meant. That basically means the percentage of people in the population who test positive to it. So, Mm -hmm. um, but we really don't know when those people are going to develop problems, when they're going to develop problems. Mm If there's a predictive level that would say this person's likely to or this person's not likely to, we just don't know at this point. So it's it's the same as other food allergies. You could have been introduced to it many times and then all of a sudden it tips you over the edge. Yeah, you know, again, the theory is that the sensitization, the alpha-gal syndrome is primarily mm-hmm. related to, um, you know, the, the bite of the Lone Star tick. But or there are other ticks as well, but primarily the Lone Star tick in this area. Um, you know, alpha gal antibodies might be due to people eating you know barbecue pork frequently. You you mm-hmm. might develop some sort of insignificant or sensitization to those things, but not manifest a true allergy. So in those surveillance populations where we're seeing twenty five or thirty percent of people test positive, some of those people may be testing positive just because they've been eating meat. Um, and but don't develop those sorts of reactions. So again, it's it's an area that you know still requires a lot of study. It's an emerging diagnosis. So there's a lot we really don't know about it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but just we're trying to tell people to head head things off at the pass and, and stop a lot of this unnecessary empiric testing before it causes people lots of problems. If I do end up with alpha gal syndrome, I guess I'm avoiding meat. Yeah, till further notice, but there's no way you could do, uh, say, like an oral food challenge or, or any way to start the. And that's the trick with alpha gals okay. because it's a delayed reaction and because the absorption is inconsistent. Mm-hmm. There's no good oral food challenge for it, unlike right. for other um, for other foods which cause immediate reactions. So we're really sort of hamstrung there in that we don't have we we lack that gold standard diagnostic test that we can have with other food allergies. So. It's really just based on history and blood work, and you know, putting as putting that together and giving the you know the best answer that you can, which sometimes is a good answer and sometimes it's not. How long has this syndrome? How long have you you all been aware of this? Um, has it been in like the last decade? Yeah, it's been within okay. the last decade. I don't okay. I don't know exactly. It was started when they they were trying a, a cancer drug, and they found out that people had were having first dose allergic reactions to the cancer drug, and so they sent a bunch of serum to the University of Virginia and they isolated alpha-gal and these people and figured out that was the problem, but they didn't know how people were getting sensitized. Mm-hmm. And then actually the guy who's the head of the program there, a guy named Thomas Plattsmills, who's a brilliant guy, um, figured out that it was the Lone Star Tick when he got bitten by a Lone Star Tick and then developed the alpha-gal syndrome. So he was the guy that put two and two together that that was probably what was causing these problems. And when you looked at 
the reactions that had occurred in that cancer trial, it tended to be in areas where the Lone Star Tick had a very high distribution or also the sort of barbecue belt, mm-hmm. if you will, kind of running from you know North Carolina to Texas and down south of that. That, that, that That's going to be hard for a lot of people. It's, who, who oh, my gosh. To, I, mean, I mean, some people would give up anything, but when you tell them they got to give up their barbecue, up, they're like, uh-uh. are you kidding me? I have to eat chicken for the rest of my life. <laughs> and, you know, people can lose the alpha-gal, just like other food allergies, some mm-hmm. food allergies. Uh, that sensitivity can go away over time. And we have seen people who have lost that sensitivity lost that positive test over a period of time mm-hmm. and then have been able to reintroduce those things into their diet. So that's that's the bright spot. <laughs> that's the silver lining here. Yeah. Yeah, that's the this there is a possibility that you'll be able to do that down the line. But again, no one really knows whether it's um, you know, sort of how long that is, what a good level is. It, it's a really tricky subject. Well, this has been great information. Thank you for breaking this down for us because, um, you know, here we are, middle of summer. It's tick season. It is. It is. (laughs) Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Liz. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Clear the Air. Please consider following this podcast. And remember, if you want helpful and accurate information about allergies and asthma, our allergy experts are here to clear the air.